are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Isaiah's Commission In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were silver film, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they are flying. And they are calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple is filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. As obedient children, do not conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Thank you, Jackson. It's fun to watch our students go from kids' ministry to student ministry, and if we had an arm wrestling contest, who do you think would win, me or Jackson? (laughs) I'm not so sure anymore. (laughs) All right, great readings. First Peter chapter 1 for that second one. And our subject of study this morning is the holiness of God. And in the grand scheme of things, this is probably one of the more difficult attributes for us, especially in 21st century America, to grasp. Even if we're motivated and we desire to understand it, this whole concept of something being holy is simply more foreign in our culture and in our time. So I want to try to describe it by way of analogy. In the house that I grew up in, we had dishes that were everyday dishes, and then we had dishes that were reserved for special occasions. And I want to show you some of the everyday dishes that I brought along. Make a little bit of room here. So I've got a few examples of an everyday dish. Uh, We'll start with the the bottom of the totem pole. This is a paper plate. (laughs) So if we were going to eat out on the picnic table growing up, or we had friends over, or relatives for a bigger barbecue, You know, this might be the go-to, especially in the summer. There's a paper plate. Then how about this one? There's an everyday plate. It's a Tupperware plate. So this one often, well, yeah, maybe only gets used by little ones. The Tupperware plate at our house often ends up thrown on the floor and put on the baby's head and sometimes snuck over to the dog so he can lick it clean. (laughs) This plate gets put through the ringer. It's an everyday plate. Now we're moving up a little bit, and we're coming to a standard, everyday kind of plate at our house. This one is made of glass, or something like glass. It is durable, it's affordable, and very importantly, it goes in the dishwasher. This plate gets used every day at the house. Now, I want to take us to a plate that's quite a bit different. My sister and I always knew the difference between an everyday plate and this other category. We don't have these at my house, but I 
My parents are out of town, so my mom is probably going to see this on the live stream. <laughs> but I should not even have this here, I'm sure. But this is China from their house. And I mean, this was like the holy grail of dishes. And my sister and I were crystal clear on that. I mean, this did not go in the dishwasher. It came out only several times a year. Probably, when I think back, this kind of dish would be out Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. I don't even know if it's worth trying to prop up like that, but we'll (laughs) leave that as our display. So we've been studying the attributes of God all summer long, and here we arrive at this theme of holiness. The holy versus the ordinary. And this series, as we're kind of coming into the home stretch now, is going to take us to mid-September when we kick off kids' ministry. It's when we'll shift gears here too and head into fall. So we have four weeks to go, and if you're wondering what is remaining across this whole summer of studying these different attributes of God, we have left the jealousy of God. That maybe piques our curiosity. That's an unusual one, but an important one. The wisdom of God, the truth of God, and the faithfulness of God. So that's where we are these next four weeks. All of these things across this whole summer coming together, emerging from Scripture to answer the question, what is God like? Yesterday we had the memorial service, the celebration of life for our dear friend and brother Scott Tram. It was a special time together. In fact, without drawing too much attention, I do want to acknowledge Joni. Scott's wife is returning to worship in person for the first time since March of 2020 as she has been home alongside Scott. And so Joni, welcome back, welcome home. We had a very special time yesterday with Joni and many of our church family. We had, from the Y Church, I see many of you here, we had 19 volunteers who showed up and served in the kitchen and ushering and set up, and many of you in attendance as well. And one of the things yesterday in the service that we recalled was that Scott loved to read. And by the way, I want to point out something to our kids, our elementary kids, middle school, high school who are here. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you can't be cool if you like to read. Because Scott Schramm was one of the coolest guys I've ever run into. He flew helicopters, he drove fast cars, and he read lots of books. And Scott especially loved to read and study the Bible and books about the Bible and get to know the Lord better. And one of his favorite authors, one of his favorite all-time authors, was a man from a century ago named A.W. Tozer. And interestingly, Both Tozer and Scott passed away at the age of 66. I found that in my study this week in preparing for the service. And as an aside, I also found it interesting that in our message series, Scott passed away between God's grace and God's love in our series. So for God's grace, he was here on the live stream. For God's love, he'd moved home to heaven. So Tozer, one of Scott's favorite authors, has this wonderful little book called The Knowledge of the Holy. If you're looking for a last short little summer read, this would be a great one, The Knowledge of the Holy. And in chapter one of that book, Tozer sets the scene. The language is, you know, this is like a hundred years ago when he was around. 
maybe a little bit after that, but we'll have to listen carefully because the language is a little bit thick, but his observations are absolutely worth sharing. He says this, before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, what he means is before it starts to decline, there must first be a corrupting of her simple basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like? And goes on from there. Though she may continue to cling to a sound, nominal creed, her practical working creed has become false. The masses of her adherents come to believe that God is different from what he actually is. And that is heresy of the most insidious and deadly kind. That's Tozer. And I wanted to quote those lines to point out the gravity of our subject matter this summer. And fully acknowledging this hasn't been just some light summer study. As I say that, I also want to point out that we have a lot of fun here. You know, following Jesus is not meant to be done, you know, with a morose, stern face. But when we gather around Scripture to learn more of our Savior, we do so with a great sense of reverence. We don't come on Sundays just to see each other and give each other a religious pat on the back and out the door we go into a new week. But we come to know what God is like. And as Tozer points out, if we are flimsy about what God is like, then nothing else we will build is going to be able to be stood on. So without further ado, let's head into this theme of God's holiness. And we'll start with some definitions. The past few weeks we've done that. Definitions aren't everything, but they do help clarify what we mean. And so let's start with this. God's holiness is part of his moral purity. He is absolutely free from anything evil. In other words, God is untouched, unstained by sin. And I realize that moral purity might sound kind of highfalutin, which is an actual word, by the way. It might sound a little hoity-toity, but the fact that God is morally pure, that he is morally perfect, uncompromised, is actually wonderful, relevant news for you and me. Moral purity means he is holy, righteous, and just. You put all those three together, you have moral purity. And not pretentiously so, but in his essence, that's what God is like. Who of us would want to work for a boss who is morally corrupt or unrighteous? Some of you are thinking, well, have you met my boss? No. Well, that's not a good working arrangement. You're probably not going to be in that job very long if that's the case. Who of us would want to stand in a court of law before a judge who entertains bribes, who does not uphold the law, and who does not care about injustice? Who of us would want to be married to a spouse whose morals were questionable and could not be trusted to fulfill their wedding vows? And so I say this just to point out that God's holiness, though it may sound rather transcendent and hard to get and hard to relate to, its implications are very real. Let's add one more way of defining it as we narrow this down. God's holiness is the unique majesty of who he is, and the perfect goodness of his character. The unique majesty means that there is no one who is so glorious as God. Exodus fifteen eleven says, 
Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Those are rhetorical questions to which the answer is no. No one is like you, God. You're it. And then look at the second part of that definition where it says the perfect goodness of his character. While the holiness of God might seem hard to grasp at first, who of us is not interested in God's goodness? That was a topic assigned a few weeks ago that Kurt led us into. We get that one. When we talk about God's goodness, about God being good, we're like, yes, please. That sounds great. But we must realize this, that God's goodness follows from his holiness. There's the connection. If holiness is part of moral purity, and moral purity means that God is free from anything evil, well, what's the opposite of evil? It's good. Goodness. God is good is only something that is true if he is holy. With that, let's turn to a depiction of God's holiness. I found this fascinating. For sure, the past several weeks, we've noted this, that Scripture does not just define terms, but it also, and in some cases, prefers to tell us in a story. And so with that in mind, we're going to step into the shoes of Isaiah and what we read in his book, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And we'll just kind of check a few of these verses out. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What this is, is the commissioning vision. We just commissioned Mia and Isaac. This is a commissioning, a vision of Isaiah in the temple. But in this vision that Isaiah sees, the temple is transformed into heaven, the throne room of God. And Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne. And then in verse 2, we have this description of angels. They're called seraphim. You know, there's different classifications of angels in the Bible. So these seraphim are attending God. And in verse 3, we hear what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now in Hebrew... To emphasize something, you might use a highlighter in your Bible, or maybe in an expression to make a superlative, the most of anything. They do that in Hebrew by repetition. So holy, holy, holy is not just because the angels could not think of any other adjectives. But they are saying that God is completely and perfectly holy. He is as holy as it gets. The word in Hebrew that we see there and throughout the Old Testament is kadosh. Kadosh. Set apart, sacred, holy. And the sheer number of times that this word is used and the emphasis placed on it has caused some Bible scholars to wonder if God's holiness might be his single most important attribute. Whether or not that's the case, Personally, I don't know if we actually need to rank the attributes of God. But whether or not it's the case, nobody would argue that holiness, God's holiness, is absolutely foundational. Without God's holiness, we cannot understand much of the rest of anything about Him. It reminds me of playing Jenga. And maybe have you played yard Jenga before? The big, I know Young Life uses that at some of their get-togethers. 
And you know how Jenga works, whether it's the tabletop one or the big one, you, you know, you kind of have to test those blocks and you'll tap on it a little bit, see if it's loose, and some of them are just locked in there solid. That is God's holiness. It's one of those Jenga blocks that if you move that one, this whole thing is coming down. So back in the story, Isaiah's in the throne room in this vision, and the angels are declaring the holiness of God, and Isaiah responds accordingly in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What you're seeing here is a true and proper response to God's holiness. Because Isaiah recognizes, you and I, we are the everyday dishes. I'll speak for myself. I'm a paper plate after it's been used. And you can see the stain where the baked beans were. And you can see the yellow and the red, the staining from the ketchup and mustard, from the brat. You can see the leftover juice from the coleslaw. This plate is not meant to be used again on Thanksgiving, that's for sure. There is such a vast difference between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. There's an old hymn. We actually used it in prayer together as a worship team before the service. And when we prayed, we were recalling the words of verse 1, but I want to share with you the words of verse 3. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, love, and purity." Isaiah is so overcome by the vision of God's holiness that he thinks, he just jumps to the conclusion that he is done for. He's about to get wiped off the face of the earth because he has beheld the holiness, the glory of God. And it reminded me, actually, I think a New Testament equivalent is Peter's reaction after the miraculous catch of fish. This is depicted in The Chosen, from Scott Tram's favorite episode called Fishers of Men, season one, episode four, after the miraculous catch, there's so many fish in the boat that it is swamping the boat. If you remember this scene and how it's depicted, Simon Peter stumbles to the shore, drops to his knees in front of Jesus, and he says, and this is a quote from Scripture, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And in the episode retelling this story, he says, you don't know who I am or what I've done. To which Jesus says, don't be afraid, Simon. This is the true and proper response to the holiness of God. But somewhere between the grace and love of God, he lifts our heads as he did for Simon Peter on the beach. And he says, do not be afraid, I love you. The equivalent in the Isaiah story is that God sends the seraphim with what? What's the seraphim pick up first with the tongs? Imagine this, this vision. And then it's a live coal that he has in his hand. And God sends the seraphim to Isaiah 
and he touches it to his lips. God does not say to him in that moment, Isaiah, don't say such things. Don't be so hard on yourself. He doesn't say, that's not true, Isaiah. You're trying your hardest out there. No, what Isaiah has confessed is absolutely true. He sees and knows in the moment there in God's throne room that he is a million miles away from the holiness of God and he cannot stand in the presence of God. But God knows it too and he provides for it. Then the seraphim says to Isaiah, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. With that in mind, let's go to the New Testament. The New Testament Greek word for holy is hagios. Holy. This is the same word, by the way, that is used for saints. And by that, I do not mean the saints that we might refer to if you come from a Catholic background. I'm sure a third of us here at the White Church are from a Catholic background. So that's not what we mean, nor do we mean the football team from New Orleans. The saints, saints in the New Testament, is a term for all those who belong to Christ, both past and present. So would you believe it that this gymnasium this morning is full of saints? And don't give a sideways glance at your spouse next to you. It's true. You are surrounded by saints. And it's because of who God is and what He's done for us. He transfers this calling to us. Our reading from 1 Peter says, we're just going to pick up one verse from this one. 1 Peter 1.15, But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and this is quoting the Old Testament, Be holy because I am holy. And you might remember how we divvied up the attributes of God as we started into the summer. We said, okay, there are some of these attributes that are unique to God. It's only God. You know, His infinite nature that he's unchanging, that he's omnipresent, that he can be all places at the same time. And then there's this other category of attributes that are shared, where God is saying, this is the way that I'm like, now you imitate this as well. And the interesting thing about holiness is that when we initially think about it, it's so foreign sounding, so lofty, we might think that this is only God, it's unique to him. But it's a shared attribute. He says, look, I am holy, so I am calling you to be holy. You to be set apart. Just like Katie did with the beads. Not holier than thou. Not calling you to a self-righteous holiness or to be judgmental with our noses stuck up in the air. But living a life that has been transformed by the forgiveness and love of God. Back to Tozer. He says, same book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Until we have seen ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing. Aaron Marsh, Kurt Hinkle, These two guys have assembled some of our student ministry leaders and and parents and others out of the Y Church, and they have been meeting around student ministry, shaping a vision for students to come to know Jesus and to follow Him. 
And so they've got one meeting behind us this summer. We've got one coming up. And, and one of the things Kurt presented in the last meeting was something that very much describes the present reality of faith and religion in our country. And he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's kind of the de facto religious belief of our time, especially if we have some church residue on us from the past. So moralistic therapeutic deism, moralistic means I should be a good person. I should live a moral life and basically translates to I should be nice to others. Therapeutic means that the focal point of my understanding of faith is that it is for me to be happy and feel good about myself. Deism means that yes, God exists. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm not really going to give him much definition beyond that. And you know, by the way, he's not terribly engaged with the world or with the intricacies of my life anyway. What is missing from moralistic therapeutic deism? Probably a few things, but at the top of the list is a holy God. And where there's no holiness, there is really not much of a gap anymore when it comes to sin. Maybe just some things I you know, could use to improve on, I'll acknowledge that, but, but we wouldn't call it sin. And where there is no sin, who needs a Savior? Well, I think what we should do here to close beyond preaching about this attribute is probably ask a couple of very concrete questions. This week... I'd invite each of us, regardless of age, kids, join in with us. How can I become more aware of God's holiness? Maybe, let me give you some ideas. You can fill in your own. You can jot them down in that sermon notes section. But one kind of fun idea is maybe like Moses this week, you'll find a time and space where you slip off your shoes in imitation of Moses before the burning bush, before the presence of a holy God. And what does he do? He's, he slips off his, I don't know what you'll have on, sandals, slippers, your shoes. And just before you enter a prayer or you're standing out on the deck or you're outside, slip your shoes off in remembrance of Moses standing before a holy God. Or maybe you're going to have a bonfire or a campfire. And you're going to be there, you're going to maybe roast some s'mores, enjoy these last summer evenings. And the coals then will start to glow at the bottom. And you're going to look at those coals and you're going to think about Isaiah's story. And you're going to think, yes, I too am a man or a woman or a kid of unclean lips before a holy and awesome God. But he has taken away my guilt and atoned for all of my sin. Another idea, maybe you'll come on Wednesday night to the community worship gathering and And we're going to join together with churches across our city and we're going to sing in the presence of a holy God. We're going to hear the word. We're going to have care present with us. And so you can bring gifts of food. You can bring finances as we serve our community together. Maybe you'll come Wednesday night. Maybe it'll be to take your Bible and it'll be to look up some of these references to God's holiness. And maybe here would be a fun exercise. I didn't get to do this this week, but I thought of it. I want to get back to it. You remember what the angels are saying there in Isaiah? That threefold, holy, holy, holy. Maybe try to track those down where that exact phrase appears in the Bible. And if you beat me to it, report back. I'd love to know where those spots are. I know Revelation is on that list. 
And then here's our second question. How is God calling me to imitate His holiness? And I would propose that now we just take that question to prayer. So let's bow our heads together. Lord, it is too big for our minds to grasp just how holy you are and how loved we are, Lord. That you are not so distant and far away and aloof to the things of this earth or even to our lives. But Lord, across this room, you know exactly what is carrying out in the lives of Carol or Greg or Joni or Josh or Eli. It's just beyond description, Lord. And all we can do is stand before you like Isaiah did or like Peter and just acknowledge, Lord, that without your grace, without your mercy, we would be nothing before you. And Lord, you pick us up, you bring us to our feet, you cleanse our sin, and then you send us out into the world, Lord, on a mission to imitate your holiness and to share the gospel with the hurting world. And I pray, Lord, that you would now prompt answers to this question. How can we imitate your holiness this week? I pray, Lord, for each one of us, there would be a real practical takeaway that would send us out the door. Lord, we worship and magnify you. We love you and praise you. And we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.